1: Welcome back to your episode 9 of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. Today, I am joined by Brian Joyner after the long weekend. Brian, how you doing, man?
0: Number 9, number 9, let's do this.
1: I know, 9 is actually my favorite number. Um, I wore it all through all of the organized sports that I played, and uh, I don't know, I just kind of love the number. You know why I love it, though, is... Um, Paul Kariya. Do you know the the hockey player Paul Kariya from like way back in the day?
0: I do. I I really thought that the next two words out of your mouth were going to be Ted Williams, but I respect the I respect the Paul Kariya.
1: Yeah, you know, T- Teddy is the the number nine that we probably should be talking about on this show. But I grew up a hockey player, so um, for me it was all about the the main Black Bears and Paul Kariya. So. Um, that's just a, a little aside. Uh, a little bit about Brian for all of you who uh, maybe haven't listened to a podcast that Brian's been on. He writes for BP Boston, Over the Monster. And, uh, Brian, where can they find you on Twitter?
0: They can find me at Brian Joyner, Brian with a Y, Joyner with an I. Not on the hockey rink. I, I moved to New England too late to pick up hockey, and it was always the uh, the biggest regret I had about not uh, just never learning to play because it seems like the most fun. Uh, but I've made up for it by watching a lot of baseball. So that's how it,
1: you know what? I, I, uh, I played it, but I enjoy baseball a lot more, which is kind of funny. You'd think that the sport that you're most familiar with, you'd probably end up, uh, being most interested in as an adult, but it just didn't work out that way. So, um, anyhow, um, Hockey aside, it's a good good sport, good finals going on right now, Stanley Cup finals, but um, we do have a lot to talk about with the Red Sox, who are currently first place, uh, two games up on the uh, Baltimore Orioles, who they're playing right now as we speak. Um, Baltimore looks pretty good, but the Red Sox have already taken the first game in that series, and... Uh, so far, doing pretty well as we record this right now. I believe they're up five to one uh, with Eduardo Rodriguez on the mound. So let's just jump right into that. Eduardo was back in the mix finally after uh, suffering that knee injury in spring training. Um, Brian, have you watched any of the start tonight? And uh, what are your expectations for him going forward the rest of the season?
0: So I watched some of him last year, and I was I was sort of checked out of last season, but I, I did pop on and off and he looked promising you don't know how someone especially this young is gonna look tonight outside of getting hit hard a couple times in the fourth inning um he's looked pretty good i mean his changeup has been really wonderful and he's thrown some really nice pitches on the inside part of the plate to right-handed hitters which is really tough to do and our you know mutual Twitter Red Sox writer June Lee uh, posted some comparisons of Rodriguez's new wind-up to that of David price and it looks very similar whereas he used to look almost exactly like Johan Santana uh, of with whom he shares a number probably not coincidentally but he looks really nice. This is really promising. He,
1: he also shares a nationality with Johan Santana. Isn't that right? They're both Venezuelan guys?
0: Uh, th- I mean, that makes that makes sense. Yes, yes, they are. But I know they're both Venezuelan. I, okay. had, never, I had never put that together. But yes, that that explains it uh, to uh, a larger degree. But it. I also like the idea that he and Price are sort of working together now.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's been a big selling point for a lot of people who play in fantasy baseball leagues coming into this year. And I know this isn't a fantasy podcast, but um, I think a lot of people in that follow the Red Sox in, in general just thought that there was so much that Eduardo could take away from a guy like David Price, who's a great teammate and a very good mentor. And I think learned a lot from guys like James Shields when he was down in Tampa Bay, and he has a lot to offer uh, a guy like uh, eduardo rodriguez the the one takeaway that i had from tonight from tuning into his start was uh, i agree that the the change up was good and i think that he was locating very well which isn't easy to do uh considering the time off that he's had um but i think the velocity was down a little bit that's to be expected he was mostly sitting 92 93 with the fastball um and the slider wasn't all that sharp. Um, the one hit that looked like it was going to be a home run, which was actually robbed um, by Chris Young out there, was a hanging slider to Manny Machado that uh, got walloped pretty good. And, um, you know, the other interesting thing that I thought uh, while watching him was just how um, how similar the velocities are between his changeup and his slider. Um, at one point during the broadcast, Jerry Remy actually – uh, confused his change-up high up in the zone with a slider that just didn't move at all. And I was like – I was watching the pitch, and he called it a slider. And I was thinking to myself, well, if that's a slider, that thing moved like not at all. So that had to have been his change-up, right?
0: Yeah, probably. And we just – Mookie uh, – oh, man, Blake Swire throwing home. Did they get him? Oh, it looked like they did. Sorry. Um I know that you were talking about the game like it's in the past tense, but it is happening as we talk. Um, No, that's interesting. I I do – I'm giving uh, him some leeway because it's his first start. He does seem to be, as as you might expect, uh, a little bit uh, gassed early in the game because he's still stretching out, and uh, he – Having watched the non David Price pitchers and non Stephen Wright, because I don't think he counts in the pitcher categorization. He's a knuckleballer, so he's different. Uh, he's looked really good. Uh, And I, and I know, um, he's not perfect, but I, I, I'm, uh, I'm optimistic.
1: Yeah, I I did not have uh, a whole lot of pleasant thoughts when it came to uh, thinking about what Eduardo Rodriguez's first couple of starts would be um, as he came back this week because he did draw so many tough matchups. He has uh, Baltimore at Baltimore, which he's doing right now as we speak. Uh, holding his own in that game but then later on in the week and we'll get to these pitching matchups later in the show as we always do um, we have Toronto at home and Toronto's bats just seem to uh, really destroy Boston pitching that that series left a really bad taste in my mouth last week as they were really able to hit um, just about all of the pitching that was thrown out there by the Red Sox so while the Red Sox were able to stand toe to toe with them in terms of run scoring ability, most of the time it still uh, it still troubles me that Toronto seems to be able to pound the crap out of uh, Boston pitching.
0: Yeah, I was on Sunday. I was just off doing a bunch of things, and I was listening to the game. I was driving back, and when they finally won that extra inning game, I I let out a big screen. I was so happy to beat Toronto uh, because they they make it so tough and we always make it so tough and if i'm just glad we won on sunday that was that was huge
1: yeah absolutely that was a much needed victory it would have been tough to deal with a the sweep there but let's get to some expectations for erod we've seen a little of them so far um, one can expect as long as his knee stays healthy um that he should continue to gain velocity as the season goes on um what are your expectations for him going forward? What type of pitcher are we going to see here? Are we looking at like a four ERA guy or a guy who can be that low three ERA guy we kind of thought was possible at the beginning of the season?
0: You know, I think the the realistic thing to expect is moving. He was a three eight last year, moving down between three and a half and three eight. I just think that, as you say, they play Toronto a lot. And I know the Orioles – I mean, the Orioles have two runs and five innings. The Orioles are a good hitting team. Um, I think that if he ends up with an ERA between 3-5 and 3-8 it, over more innings, because I th- still think he'll probably end up pitching more innings, uh, that's great. I mean, that's – and anything better is uh, – Keeps him in the three starter spot, and I say keeps him there. I was going to say puts him there, but I think that. And we'll get to this when we talk about Porcello and Joe Kelly. I, I don't even want to talk about Joe Kelly, but <laughs> I and he's coming off a game where he almost pitched a no hitter, but uh, I think that he might be the clear number three now that Wright seems to be the clear number two, if not number one, though I think that. talks of that are premature
1: yeah that's an interesting thing to talk about and uh we'll get to porcello later but i personally don't believe that eduardo has enough to be the number three this year coming off the injury i think it's gonna certainly be uh david price um rick porcello stephen wright as that top three i think eduardo is gonna operate mostly in that 3.5 three five to three eight range this year which would be good and i think that'd be really serviceable for the rotation add another lefty in there add some stability to the rotation i think that's a good thing but i am just worried that he's he's still clearly a guy who's learning a lot in a very tough division coming off an injury so i'm not expecting too much for the 23
0: year old the only reason that i am optimistic about it is that he is 23. And he did this at age 22 last year. And it's really hard to do. And he just seems, and I'm very influenced by what I've seen tonight, which is a very small sample size, but he, he seems like he belongs out there. And you can't say that of every 23 year old with talent. I mean, we've seen a lot of, uh, Young pitchers who have had quote unquote better stuff go out there and who are still five, you know, four or five years later trying to figure it out. I'm thinking specifically these aren't Red Sox, but of Trevor Bauer and Tyler Skaggs who were on the Diamondbacks and they were both going to be these great pitchers. And, you know, there's the phrase there is there's no such thing as a pitching prospect for a reason. And, I think that seeing him out there busting his butt and, le- doing it and doing it like he belongs is a very good sign and one that uh, indicates his growth could be happening fairly uh, fast despite the injury. But that's my hope, at least.
1: Yeah, I think that I would – very much agree with you on the intangibles that you're talking about, the pitchability, the idea that Eduardo understands where he is in every game that he pitches and has a sense of how to do that much more like a veteran than he does as a 23-year-old. Um, and I think we've always seen that from him. I had a chance to see him in the minor leagues a few times when I was living in the D.C. area um, when he was still with Baltimore, and he always had um, – Quite a bit of poise on the mound, so that's that's one thing he, he certainly has in spades. It'll be interesting to watch that velocity as the season goes on. Last year it was uh, darn close to 95 mile an hour average, uh, 94.8 on the fastball uh, throughout the entire season last year, so we'll look for that as well. But either way, great to have Eduardo back here, um, and only a good thing for the Red Sox. But next topic that I wanted to talk about was um, Blake Swihart. Um, Blake has moved to left field um, since he got called up again to the big club after Holt went down with the concussion. Um, He's been playing left field pretty much every day. He's the regular left fielder now for the Red Sox. Um, Everybody knows that listens to this podcast or follows me on Twitter or is ever associated with me um, knows how I feel about Blake Swihart moving off the catcher position. I have been – vehemently against it for pretty much the entire time that I've heard of it happening Um, I know that you took the other side of the coin though and uh, you wrote a pretty compelling article uh, to that effect when the change initially happened I want to know what your thoughts have been so far on the Blake Swihart to left field experiment and um, then you know, what happens going forward? Holt's gonna come back from the D L at some point. Red Sox could certainly look to fill that gap elsewhere if they still view Blake as a catcher long term. Um, let's let's break it all down.
0: Yeah, I think what's happening now uh, and I just wanna say all this carefully because I, I understand why everyone was upset, but I think what we're seeing now and swyhart i think the notable thing is that he is he got better in left field in a week than hanley ramirez ever got um and you know he looks perfectly fine out there he knows what he's doing he's when it's hit out there there's he's gonna catch the ball he's uh it that is admirable even if catchers are notoriously um Uh, adaptable and sort of overachieving uh, athlete wise but he's his his bat is really light and i understand that i mean his eye is great but his bat is light and i i understand that it's a strange situation that he's been going through so you can expect that it might throw him off his game but the reason that you and others are adamant that he's more valuable as a catcher is because of the bat. If the bat is what it is right now, that just makes us have a slightly better hitting catcher. And I know Christian Vasquez is not great, but he, you know, he it's my heart from time to time <laughs> i just think that if swihart's hitting was enough to make it an issue we ought to see that hitting still
1: so let me throw a devil's advocate here with you i think that i can't agree with i can't disagree with what you have just said the results so far uh, really since blake swihart has um, been drafted by the club have been that of a fairly light hitting player. Um, in Double A, he did end up with a 187 uh, ISO one year with 12 home runs, uh, but by and large, we haven't seen a tremendous amount of pop from Blake Swihart. I think the opposite side of it is that Blake Swihart, for his entire time, even in the minor leagues and especially his time in the pros, uh, or the big leagues, I should say, um, has been mired with having to learn the most difficult position to play on a baseball field, in my opinion, which is catcher. So I think he's had to devote just a tremendous amount of mental and physical energy to getting better at the defensive side of the craft. Um, But I think that it's been fairly unanimous around baseball scouts um, that when he does make hard contact with the ball, it does come off differently. It's one of those things where there's a lot of projection within the bat. And what I think is that if you would just let this guy stay in one spot, whether that's left field, whether that's catcher, let him just stay there and finally get mastery of the position, he can then start focusing on the bat. Because that thing is just – it's very difficult, I think, for for somebody's development to – kind of master both areas at the same time. So I wanted to get your take on that.
0: Well, and, and I think that you've sort of uh, given away, at least in the notes to me, you say you want to talk about Brock Holt and whether he takes over. And I think you've sort of tipped your hand there. That you think maybe you shouldn't because I, uh, if Brock Holt comes back, the question then if you want to talk strictly about bats, whose bat has a higher potential, Blake Swihart or Brock Holt, I would say Blake Swihart. And I would say I would lean on the side of getting Blake Swihart more playing time for the reason of the bat. So I'm not – my whole point with Blake Swihart getting sort of jettisoned from Ketcher was not that I don't like Blake Swihart. I believe that um, you're right. That that power exists uh, and may exist. So let's let's give it some time at the major league level. Uh, and I think you're totally right. It's just trying to learn too much. And I still think, to be fair to you, that the he might still be suffering from the whiplash of all this and settling into the fact: okay, you're going to play every day. Now you're going to hit every day. So for that reason, I would. I I think that that is what the red sox plan is but i would be cautious about trying to force brock holt in there when he can play literally everywhere
1: yeah i think that there's no doubt um you know it seems like you agree that the best version of the red sox club is going to be one in which you can play brock Holt all around the field um we talk about blake not you know jumping into his power potential yet but even this version of Blake Swihart that we've already seen, even throughout all this crazy development, has been one that has more power, um, at least when you add it all together, doubles, triples, home runs, more power than Brock Holt. He's He is a super utility guy with a very light bat, does a lot of nice things on the field. But um, you give me a, a year of Blake playing left field and a year of Holt playing left field and I would bet all of the money that I have, which isn't a lot, that Holt would um, not match the production of Blake Swihart. So I think we agree there. But then the other question comes into play, are the Red Sox better off going elsewhere to fill that gap, putting Holt in a utility role where he should be, we both agree on that, and then putting Blake Swihart back in the minor leagues to continue to develop as a catcher. Is that the best possibility for this club going forward, or do you think it's with Blake in left field?
0: Really depends on what you mean by going forward, because if David Ortiz is really retiring and you want to win a World Series this year, trade Blake Swihart for whatever you need. Um, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just spitballing here. I'm just spitballing. I mean, wow. I
1: don't disagree with you. I've been on record as saying that if you're going to mess with this guy's position and. You know, throw them all around the diamond and you want to commit to quit. Christian Vasquez as your catcher. I think his biggest value to this team is as a trade asset at
0: that point. Especially given what you just said, that uh, he's sort of universally beloved by scouts, when if you could trade a guy basically at top value um, when he's not actually producing, that it might not be good in the long run, but – this would be a short run trade one would imagine as it is it would be a mat, you know so uh i think that the, whatever happens with holt and swihart is going to end up sp- be basically hair splitting because especially on this team this is a decision that's so far down the roster and the batting order that whatever you get from them is uh is bonus. Right. It's icing on the cake at that point. Right. So that's why I think that the real way to if you really wanted to get value out of Blake Swihart this year, it would be to trade. All
1: right. So we were going to talk about that a little bit later in the show, but I think it's a fine time to go right into that segue. So let's talk about some potential trade targets out there, because I think when you step back and assess this team, we see the biggest weaknesses in the starting rotation and in left field. I think the other place that we could possibly say that there are some gaps on the team are in the bullpen. Is there anything else aside from those three things that you think the team needs to address, or are those the three big needs?
0: I think that it would not hurt to have another starter But you could say that on almost every team in the majors. I mean, this gets into talking about Rick Porcello and Joe Kelly and my levels of confidence in them. And I don't think that Porcello is going to be terrible, but I do think that there is reason to think that his numbers are a tad uh, inflated uh, value-wise right now, not... Uh, inflated by giving up too many runs like say david prices are and joe kelly i just i don't trust him as far as i can throw him so i would always be happy to replace him but that is uh i don't know how realistic that is though i would man- imagine that they would go after an ace level uh type pitcher if they could get it, uh, someone like, I don't know, Sonny Gray, perhaps, um, who would be a good buy-low opportunity uh, if that came up. Um, Again, I'm just spitballing. I don't know what uh, what ace starting pitchers they'd really go after, but I don't think that they would uh, uh, shoot themselves in the foot by acquiring one. That's for sure.
1: So you would rate the team needs that the the club has – Starter, left field, bullpen, or how would you rate those three in terms of what the team needs?
0: The amusing part is this: this goes back to something else you wrote on your notes, is that it kind of depends on how Clay Buckholtz is as a reliever, doesn't it? Right. That's yeah. sort of that's sort of the crux of everything. If he can do what Carson Smith was supposed to do, and the crazy thing about Clay Buckholtz is that it's possible he can do it. Because just as uh, Blake Swihart is scuffling from changing, sometimes people need a change, and maybe Clay Buckholtz just needed a change.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I thought that the whole thing with moving Buckholtz down to the bullpen was really interesting, and this is the first podcast that we've had to talk about um, the Buckholtz move. Um, on one hand. There were a lot of people, and I know that Ben Buchanan over at Over the Monster was one of these people that thought that the only options were to give him a phantom DL stint or to DFA him, and that the bullpen simply wasn't an option because there were so many better options there in the bullpen. I heard uh, another interesting take was that Buckholz has been saying um, over and over again how healthy he is, how good he feels, that he may outright – Refuse a disabled list stint, and possibly the bullpen might be a place for him to sort of sort of suffer uh, because Buckholz seems to be one of these guys that when you put him on a DL stint or um, you know send him send him down or something like that, it doesn't seem to really affect him because I think he almost enjoys the mental break of it all. But I think that by putting pressure on Buckholz, putting him in the bullpen. And sort of putting the proverbial gun to his head and being like, listen, you're not going to make it out of the bullpen unless you start making real noticeable change as a baseball player is an interesting perspective to take on a guy who who certainly seems to be one of those players that needs the carrot in front of him to, to, to have him get better.
0: Yeah, it might just be the simplest explanation is the best one. I mean it seems uh – that it might have been staring us in the face all all along that this is a good place for him. Uh, Whether it is or not sort of determines on where another reliever falls. I know uh, Ellen, Evan, sorry, Evan Drellich of the Herald was sort of uh, talking, implying that the Sox needed to be a little bit more aggressive going out and getting a reliever now that Smith is out. But I think it's, perfectly reasonable to see what Buckholz can do just by the nature of the reliever position. I mean, this is a different... It's the same skill set you bring into it, but you utilize it in a different way. And it's... No one doubts that Clay Buckholz has the skills. So it's... If he can make it work in the bullpen, that solves such a big problem, including the one of him You know, feeling like self-actualized as a person because he's been so surly recently, but in a way that seems still sort of honest and not – he's not trying to sugarcoat it for reporters who have asked him about it. Um, He's basically said with lots of expletives, he's like, oh, you know, know, I got fucking demoted. What do you want me to say?
1: Yeah, you Um, know, he, he does strike me as a little out of touch. Sometimes, though, like some of his replies, it's just kind of like, yeah, you know, the, the, the pitch was good. I just, you know, misplaced it or whatever. It, like he sends to he, he tends to say a lot of these things. He's not really like a company line type of type of guy, um, which I think makes him a little bit more frustrating because he seems to. I guess what it is, is he he talks like somebody who's making 13 million dollars to play baseball regardless of what the results are. And even though that's the case for almost everybody that plays for any Major League Baseball team, you know, they can go home and sleep at night regardless of how they do because their lives are still awesome. But Buckholtz seems to be one of those guys that really lets you know, like, hey, everything's going to be fine even though I'm terrible. Um, and I, I think that people in this Boston market really hate that more than anything else
0: you're at a boston market i can't believe how good it sounds um (laughs) no i i i agree but i just and i it's for that reason that what can you do with those guys then show them you know what they're really facing putting in the bullpen because then you know if it's not here somewhere else you're going to pitch out of the bullpen it's you know it's an existential crisis for him so he uh it's possible that he rebounds. I mean, he has the skills to do it. So that is the, that is the, the one positive is that he has the skills to do it. It's just a matter of whether he can do it.
1: So after the Joe Kelly mirage, the, uh, the, the Joe Kelly, almost no hitter that you alluded to early in the show. um, He went out and just had a total clunker of a start. Um, Very predictable. I have been on record for a while. Uh, Brian, Uh, I talked about this uh, last week with Ben on the show Um, just that there's really been no change in Joe Kelly's peripherals from times when he's been a good pitcher and times when he's been a bad pitcher in terms of ERA and wins and losses. He's kind of always showed up on the advanced stat sheet as somebody who has a lot of warts. Um, Gave up five runs his next time out three walks uh, struck out eight guys, but was generally pretty frustrating. I have no faith in Joe Kelly as a starter. Um, how long do you think it is until Clay Buckholtz is able to reclaim this starting job? I think that he is clearly there temporarily. I don't think that Farrell's moving him to the pen with the idea of, oh, great, now we have like a new long reliever in the pen. I, I think that this move was sort of twofold, so telling Buckholtz, hey, go to the pen and figure some things out and then you can come back to the rotation. And also for Heath Hembry to give him a little bit of a break, send him down to the minor leagues, because Hembry's already pitched 25 innings this year. Uh, When you compare that to some of our other pitchers, our other relievers that work uh, frequently, a guy like Junichi Tozawa comes to mind. He's already pitched five more innings than Junichi Tozawa has this year. So I think that Hembry having the break in the long run and Buckholtz having some opportunity to fix himself are two pretty good uh, benefits to this whole situation.
0: Um, yeah. I, I don't know if I totally agree that the Buckholz thing, especially in light of the Smith injury is necessarily um, uh, temporary by design because for whatever reason, it seems like the Red Sox really believe in Joe Kelly Whereas I totally agree with you that, I mean, and it's not just that he follows up good starts with bad ones. It's that he can, in the middle of his near no-hitter, not near no-hitter, in the middle of that game. <laughs>
1: yeah, 6.2 <and> 2 innings <laughs> pitch does not a no-hitter make.
0: Right. The, it was the fourth inning, I think. He, I think he loaded the bases on walks and hit by pitches. And during that inning, he looked unfathomably bad. I mean, he just looked clueless. And not only that, the only reason he got out of that inning was there was a chopper back to him that would have been a routine play at first. But instead, he threw it as hard as he could to Hannigan, who made an amazing play to throw his uh, odd foot back on the base or on home plate because he realized he had missed it with the foot he had been dragging on it. Um, And if that doesn't happen, the next, you know, he probably underhands the ball knowing him to the next batter who hits a grand slam. I'm with you, but for whatever reason, the Red Sox seem to like Joe Kelly quite a bit. So I not, I mean, even though, and it was ta- it's been talked about, given the Joe Kelly great stuff, et cetera, et cetera, that he potentially plays as a reliever extremely well, um, at least theoretically. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, I still fully buy into that. I think Joe Kelly, the reliever, is a Joe Kelly that we can all get behind eventually. So I'm giving it three turns through the rotation, more at max. I think it's probably more likely that it's two until this whole thing is flipped right back around.
0: That's interesting. I I, I mean, it hadn't – I really hadn't thought about it just because Clay got a long leash. So that – I didn't think that they were doing it just to bring him back up in a month or so. Though, just because I didn't think it doesn't make it not true. (laughs) It's, It's totally possible that's exactly what they're doing.
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, it's impossible to know, but it's going to be a really interesting situation either way because of all the things we just outlined uh, with these two guys. It's going to be interesting to see how Buckholz is able to actually perform in the pen and whether or not Kelly continues to shoot himself in the foot. But let's get to another guy who you mentioned before, Porcello, who you seem to be a little bit concerned about. I was going to ask you if you were worried about his struggles as of late, four earned runs in two of his last three starts. Um, You seem to be concerned that he is taking a step backwards from what we saw in the beginning of the year. I don't think anybody thought that that 90th percentile projection of uh, Porcello that we were getting early on was 100% what he was. But I... thought there were some really encouraging things that we saw so why don't you talk about why you're a little bit concerned about him going forward
0: you know i actually i mean, i don't think he's actually taking a step back i think he's the same pitcher but i think that he the league has adjusted a little bit and this came up in the last game um i had written something for over the monster on friday just saying that it seems like his signature new pitch, which is the high fastball, uh, on t- in two strike counts, sort of been figured out. And then over the weekend, um, I I can't remember who it was. Uh, I think it was Devon. No, it was Kevin Pilar. He he. It was 0-2, and he knew it was coming. I mean, you could tell he swung at it and he hit a ball to right field because he knew that pitch was coming. And it seemed like the uh, efficacy of that pitch had slowed down a bit uh, since the beginning, and that's fine. Um, he's clearly good. He still gives up home runs. The one thing that I think has been obscuring his numbers uh, in a way that's made us maybe overwrite him is he had three starts in a row against the Rays, the Yankees, and the Braves when none of those teams were doing anything. And um offensively, I mean they were they were bad. And he just had he put up like I think one or two run ball over like twenty, twenty one innings. And that I think has just artificially deflated his ERA. I think he's you know, he obviously is more of a strikeout pitcher than he was early in his career, but he's not um a dominant strikeout pitcher. He he doesn't have the control. He uh and he gives up home runs, but he's good. I think he's good. I think a 4 ERA is not out of the question, but any any higher than that probably is.
1: So, I guess I'm a little bit more bullish on him than you. And one of the reasons why um aside from the enhanced strikeout stuff, which I care about a little bit, but not all that much. I think what's been really interesting about him has been, um, his ability to fight out of tough situations this year. I think that his repertoire is a little bit deeper than it has been in the past. There's more pitches that he can go to. Um, and i w I've been really encouraged by even in the last few outings where he has had some more struggles than he had early on in the season, his ability to get out of some really tough jams. um, I do think that there are some still pretty intriguing things about him. uh, One of which is that strikeout to walk rate, um, which 17.1% K minus walks. I mean, that's one of the better marks in the league. Anything above 15% is pretty solid. Um, I kind of see a guy who's going to be like a three, six ERA guy the entire season. I I think that he is going to struggle against um, good hitters at points, but like he showed early on in the season, I think he's going to be able to really feast on weak opponents. So I don't think that I'm ready to call him anything more than a three and possibly a four if Eduardo is able to turn the corner um, and and be that plus pitcher. So I don't think he's somebody that you're going to be afraid of come playoff time. But certainly a a player that's going to give you an ample amount of quality starts.
0: Yeah, I mean, that he's... That is what Porcello was put on this earth to do, which was go out there and throw quality starts, which I also wrote about recently, basically saying that, you know, if you throw a perfect game, that's a quality start, but nobody cares. Uh, When you throw a quality start, people are saying it because you just threw a quality start. That is the nicest thing they can say about what you did. And I think that it's still, it is a nice thing to say about what you do because it is not easy to do. And I think that Porcello can do that uh, pretty regularly. And especially with, I mean, Stephen Wright has been such a godsend that that's all Porcello needs to do. Uh, I just, I, I think he's going to do it. And we're not talking about that big of a difference, like about a half run of ERA, which can Bay Bip could swing that either way. Um, so, we're not actually talking about that much. It's just great that we're in a position where it doesn't need to be one or the other,
1: yeah, and you mentioned Stephen Wright, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention his uh third complete game now of the season um I believe it is it's three, right, yep, yeah, I mean that's just it's it's very special. Um, what Wright's been able to do here and uh, what a boost to the team. And especially it comes at a time when, you know, one of the next topics that we were going to talk about is the bullpen and um, how some of the guys that are stalwarts in the bullpen, the Barnes, the Tozawas, the Kojis, and the Kimbrels of the world have uh, struggled a little bit as of late. And maybe that is from over-reliance, but what a break it is for the bullpen to have a guy like this. And um, just the fact that when you look at his game log right now, Nine innings, seven innings, eight innings, nine innings, seven. I mean, over six most of the starts, he really does go very deep into most of his outings. Only one of his outings so far this year has been less than five innings. Uh, everything else has been six and above. So, uh, just been really, really impressive over close to seventy innings so far this year.
0: Yeah, it's it's so s- reminiscent of Tim Wakefield nineteen Tim Wakefield nine Tim Wakefield's 1995, which I can say as a certified old, um, <laughs> that that it's crazy and that it's, I mean, look, he threw a pitch yesterday that was on, you know, every baseball website and in every shared vine. I mean, it was a knuckleball that was so ridiculous uh, that Jeff Passan called it the the, the single best pitch he's seen all year he's he's great it's so there's no reason that there have that there has to be a knuckleballer at every time certainly not knuckleball baller on the red sox but now we have this tim Wakefield, the stephen wright deal and i know that r.a dickey is there too but his is too fast to count for me. So, just the Wakefield, the Stephen Red thing is so special and so cool, and most importantly, so good for the Red Sox that it's, uh, it's just a joy to watch.
1: Yeah, I totally agree, and I, I think that there was a lot of speculation about where his place was ultimately in the rotation going forward, and I just don't think that there, there can be any debate about his place in the rotation now with the amount of innings that he's been able to pitch and the quality innings that he's been able to throw. Um, it's He's still very young in his knuckleballing career, and it's funny to say that about a guy who's now 31 years old going on 32, but really that doesn't matter at all. As we look at R.A. Dickey, who's well into his 40s right now and uh, still pitching effectively, it just doesn't really matter. Um, he could have a good... 10 seasons left of pretty good baseball in him right now, but he seems to have really figured out what he is and the strikeout stuff and the raw stuff with the knuckleball that we've seen. And I don't know if you can even say that. Can you say raw stuff with a knuckleball? Um, But it's moving like crazy, like you mentioned. And, you know, without having images of Wake – fresh in my mind. I mean, I've probably watched a 100 Wakefield starts or something like that in my life, but uh it just seems like the ball moves even more than wakes does or wakes yeah. did.
0: Yeah, it's, it's 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 hard because you say that and then uh I think if we went back and watched some Wakefield balls it would be crazy. Maybe not as crazy as that one pitch we didn't have vine when wakefield
1: was pitching <laughs> that's right
0: it, so any one pitch uh, could have been as nasty as that one but i don't know how it could be any nastier so uh, it's it's great and it's just the greatest thing for the team and you know the early episodes when we've talked we talked about the need for the red Sox to have a uh, just another starter and it turns out they had him the whole time
1: Yep, absolutely. So let's get to that bullpen issue that I had mentioned before, though. Are you concerned with any of what we've seen from Barnes, Koji, Tozawa, or Kimbrell? I mean, they've all been fairly good to excellent for most of the season so far. Are these recent struggles that they've had in stretches? I mean, they they haven't all struggled at the same time, but it's all been within the last week or two that these guys have had some trouble spots. Is this just regular ebbs and flows of the season or is there something more here that we should be uh, concerned about?
0: I can't claim to know, but the only one who I'm side-eyeing is Kimbrel. I just, (laughs) I want it to stop, you know, he's been good, but he got knocked around at the very beginning of the season too. And let's let's just let's just lock it down buddy that's that's all i ask let's just lock it down part of it in this part of it is just my total disdain for his helicopter like antics on the mound because i'm it's an an old shakes vista cloud person
1: mm-hmm.
0: actually it's not it at all because i love most crazy different things in sports I, that thing just
1: were you a rod deck fan
0: Oh, of course, I mean, Rebecca's great, um, <laughs> Rebecca's amazing, um, but uh, the wind up and just everything, which is fine, you're on my team, it uh, doesn't really bother me. Just, just strike them out, just strike everybody out. Don't go to three and two on them, too. Just go strike them out before it's three and two. I know this is easy to say and harder to do, but he should do it.
1: Well, what are your thoughts on how he's been used? He did come in for. Two outs in the eighth inning too, and I think he ended up throwing 38 pitches in that game. That he ended up uh, giving it up. I mean, is that poor usage too by John Farrell?
0: Yeah, I mean, I again, this gets back to can can Buckholtz can Buckholtz do something? I just think that when the resources are scarce, the decisions get worse, which makes. Uh, the resource is more scarce, which makes the decisions get worse, and I, I think that there's been some of that going on. So I understand that Kimbrel's, you know, asked to, to face more batters, but uh, my hope is that these problems are solved by having another live arm in there, whether they have to go get one, or uh, whether they have actually found one by having Buckholz and/or not and/or or Joe Kelly. Uh, back there.
1: So here's the thought. Um, I I do think that some of these guys in the bullpen have been used kind of a lot. I think that the lefties have been used appropriately. I don't think very much of Tommy Lane. I'd sort of like to see him get replaced by a righty and just have one lefty in there with Robbie Ross. Um, I don't know how you feel about that. Um, But one thing that I would be interested to see once Brock Holt comes back and – assuming that they allow Blake Swihart to stay in as the everyday left fielder, I'd like to see them have a three-man bench um, and go to an extra arm in the bullpen. I would love to see another righty in there, uh, whether it's Heath Embry getting the call back up or you know Pat Light or somebody else that they can go to um, in a pinch because I am legitimately concerned about both Ginichi Jin- Tozawa uh, and Koji Uihara. I think with Koji, it's just age. He's not somebody that has a tremendous amount of bullets left. He doesn't throw very hard. I think he's most effective when he's used infrequently. And with Tazawa, I think I'm just I'm petrified of what we've seen the last few years of these drastic first half, second half start, or uh, it just starts the season and splits. Um, and I just want to avoid at all costs, if we can, bad second half Janichi Tozawa. And if that means really, really backing off of him in the early going and going with that shorter bench, I think that that's beneficial to the team.
0: But do you really think they can get away with having a bench that small?
1: With Holt, I think they can. So my you, Hold
0: on. Are you saying with Holt, all things are possible?
1: Yeah, I think I am. I think I'm I'm on board with that. I mean Holt can Holt can do just about anything but strap on the catcher's gear. And you know who can strap on the catcher's gear? Blake Swihart out in yes, left field. Can. Yes he can. So follow me here. We've got Hannigan, we've got Holt. We send Hernandez or Rutledge down. And you know, we keep one of those two guys. I think that that's that's a that's a bench right there. That's just, that covers every spot on the field.
0: I I definitely agree with you in theory. I think that that the Holtz overla- Holtz and Swihart's overlapping skill sets are important. The I think the problem with it is that you still have Hannigan. So you're saying that Swihart is versatile, but you would never use him to play catcher as long as you still have Hannigan. The person who would have to go would be would have to be Hannigan. Um, and I don't think that, uh, he would have to go, um, because of any hard and set, hard and fast rule. I just don't think they would do it. I don't think they would feel like that left them deep enough. Uh, and that's for the same reason I don't think they will think they are deep enough based solely on Brock Holt's, uh, versatility. Though I don't disagree with you that it could pay dividends down the road. I just think that they're too focused on what is maybe not always right in front of their face, but close enough to it that that the long-term thinking that you're doing it while not incorrect might not uh, be practical for them.
1: So while they might not be crazy enough to go with the short bench, I will admit that that's very unlikely. It's just a crazy idea that I had on podcast, but do you think that they would put any thought into running one lefty out there and bringing up another righty like Hembry to replace Lane in a way that, or maybe not Lane, I don't know. Maybe they were, I think it should be Lane. The, the problem with Lane is I believe that he's out of options right now. Um, yeah, he is out of options. But do you think that there's any way that they can possibly throw another righty in there?
0: I mean, um. Do you, is Tommy Lane a functional part of this team, really?
1: I don't believe so. I don't think he's doing his job. He's is not it? particularly good against lefties, and that's kind of why he's there.
0: Yeah, it, like, I think Robbie Ross is already functionally the or the only lefty. Right. Um, so I have no problem in theory with getting rid of Tommy Lane. I just – for whoever, because whoever you get would be uh, t- added value but it's a matter of whether you can get you know get rid of him or not.
1: Yeah, right now the average left-hander against Tommy Lane is batting 250 with a 407 slugging percentage. He's not exactly holding these guys down. So, well, he's not getting completely obliterated on. His stuff is just kind of junk when you watch him. So, something to think about there for sure. Um But let's get to some pitching matchups for the upcoming week because there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, As you know already, uh, you've probably seen a few of the games so far. Uh, Boston is currently playing Baltimore at Baltimore. Uh, Big series between first and second place. Um, The pitching matchups that have already happened, we won't talk about those. But there are a few interesting upcoming ones. Uh, We've got Mike Wright for Baltimore facing off against Joe Kelly. And then we've got Ubaldo Jimenez versus Rick Porcello. Uh, Where do you find the advantages there with both of those two uh, matchups?
0: Well, I'm not going to pick Joe Kelly. It's just not happening. So I'm going to go with Baltimore in that one. But definitely, uh, you know, Ubaldo Jimenez and Joe Kelly – are not entirely dissimilar uh, results-wise, uh, and that's not a good thing for either one of them. I would definitely, for as much as I said about Porcello, I would favor Porcello, and for, I would favor Mike Wright tomorrow.
1: Yeah, I, I think I, I certainly agree with you on Porcello. That's that's a no-brainer to me. Um,
0: but it's, it's not about even favoring Mike Wright because – I I don't know if I favor Mike Wright plus whatever the spread of runs he's going to uh, uh, cover just by facing the Red Sox.
1: Yeah, you know, it's tough to decide. It's like two terrible options there. Um, I will note Mike Wright has a 432 ERA at home, 591 on the road, so he is a little bit better at home. I guess I will go ahead and give the nod to Mike Wright, but – I don't think that uh, that's going to be the part of the game you really want to queue in on. You can probably uh, safely watch this one with your laptop uh, on your on your lap while you uh, do work or surf the web when the actual uh, when your team's pitcher's on the mound, and then you can just watch the offense happen. So that's a that's going to be one that I may avoid. Um, So we also have Toronto coming up to Fenway. These are much more intriguing matchups for sure.
0: These matchups are amazing. These are perfect matchups.
1: Yeah, they're very, very good. So you've got ace against ace, David Price versus Marcus Stroman. You've got Knuckleballer versus Knuckleballer uh, separated by about 13 years. Uh, Stephen Wright versus R.A. Dickey. And then we've got Eduardo Rodriguez versus Marco Estrada, who actually has been a pretty decent pitcher this year. Um, Let's break these down. I mean, let's talk about the Aces first.
0: Man, I mean, I'm going to take David Price here because he's – I think he's still just a better pitcher. But uh, I'll I'll tell you why I admire Marcus Stroman, because he has a single-digit number and he's a pitcher, which almost no pitchers do. I think that's cool.
1: I agree with that. He's number six, right? Yep. Yep. So, um, yeah, Stroman's amazing. Stroman's been a guy who I've been super impressed with for a long time. Just that the depth of his repertoire and all of those pitches being really effective ha- has been really good. He's scuffled a little bit this year. I think he's got an ERA close to four and a half, which is just not indicative of who he is. And when you dig into his peripheral stats, it shows that, he has been pitching better, and I think that's sort of the tale of both these guys, David Price and Stroman. Uh, Going to give the nod to Price simply because he's at home, and because I think that David Price is sort of what Marcus Stroman wants to be when he grows up. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, they're they're very different pitchers, but um, two that I, I think one who has been at the top of the top of his game, and and one that's certainly on his way. So. That's that's an awesome matchup. Um, next one, though, super interesting. Stephen Wright versus R.A. Dickey. Uh, R.A. Dickey's knuckle has just not been knuckling the way that he wants it to this year, where Stevens has been all over the place. Um, I'm assuming we're both going to give the nod to Stephen Wright in this one?
0: Yeah, I am. I thought it was crazy in that I, I can't remember the last time uh, I've seen a game – uh, like R. A. Dickey's against the Sox, where he had a no hitter entering the top of the six, and five batters later he was out of the game. He got um, demolished. Yeah, it, yeah, but it all it, it happened so fast. Yeah. it was that was crazy. Uh, yeah, I'm taking Stephen Wright. He's he's pitching better. Um, I think Dickey's fine uh, for a, a a team that's going to put up a lot of runs, and Wright is good for a team that's going to put up a lot of runs.
1: You know, Dickey's younger than I thought he was. For some reason, I thought he was like 44, but he's just 41. So these guys are only separated by uh, a little less than 10 years. Um, Dickey, he's really interesting, though. He he sort of had that one unbelievable season as a knuckleballer where somehow he managed to have not only plus-plus strikeouts, but really good control. Um, So I think him at his best is sort of, a knuckleballer's dream, but it's going to be really really fun to see two knuckleballers go against each other and I wish I had the stat on hand. I wish we thought of it um before we did this show, but I wonder when the last time two knuckleballers have faced off
0: was. Yeah, I I mean, wait, I don't know if Wakefield faced Dickey. He may have cuz Dickey was throwing the knuckleball. He called it the thing, I believe uh way back in Texas like 10 years ago. Um yeah. So it it's possible they faced off, but uh I don't know if he was exclusively a knuckleballer at that point but uh <laughs> certainly not recently, let's put it that way.
1: Yep. Uh and then lastly, we've got Eduardo versus Marco Estrada. Um Estrada's an interesting character. Uh currently has a 2.43 ERA. Um Pretty good strikeout numbers, uh, control comes and goes. He's got a really good strand rate, 80%, certainly not sustainable. Gives up a lot of fly balls though. Um, seems like a guy who should be pitching worse than he actually is, but he seems to always outperform his peripherals by a little bit. He did it certainly for 180 innings last year, ending with a 313 ERA, even though he had a 493 XFIP. So, um, He seems to have the ability to get out of jams, certainly, and to to induce weak contact. Uh, It's going to be an interesting test. I think this one could go either way. And at this point, I think I'm inclined to give the slight edge to Estrada, considering that this is only going to be Eddie's second start and the offense that he's going up against.
0: I agree, and Estrada had a game earlier against the Red Sox this year. Where you just—it's one of those games where the it, the pitcher's just so good and the, the hitters can do nothing at all, and it doesn't mean he's going to do it again. But I've seen him do it against the Red Sox, so I know it's possible. And I agree with you that Ed in his second start against the Blue Jays—it's tough. That's tough.
1: Yeah, it's a—it's a little bit of a scary thing to think about. So. um you know, I think we we agree they should take. Uh, you know, may, they might even sweep Baltimore here if they can hold on. I don't know what the score is as we're recording this is right now, but I assume they they still have the lead in that one. Uh, they
0: do five one.
1: Five one still so possible um, to get a sweep of those guys, and I think it's pretty and by, realistic. And by
0: one, I mean two. I believe it's five two.
1: Five two. Okay, so and it, it I think. Two out of three from Toronto is pretty realistic as well, I, considering the chips.
0: To show you that I'm serious, it's now six to two. Boom. Yes, yes, I'm I'm really on top of things.
1: All right, so before we go ahead and head on out of here, I want to talk some minor leagues too. Um, I wanted to talk about Andrew Benintendi because we have talked a tremendous amount about left field so far um, today. Ben Attendee is adjusting to life at AA Portland after a tough first week where he um, was struggling with all the breaking pitches he was seeing. Um, He has certainly adjusted. He's starting to hit the ball pretty hard, and the, the talent with this kid is just off the chart. So I expect him to have mastery this level in a couple months. But I wanted to know, whether or not you thought he could be a realistic option to fill in in left field for the Red Sox later this year if they decide not to make a trade.
0: I think so, and I think so for reasons that we talked about a little bit uh, before this. Uh, just that they do, given that there's no one else who you could really point to as an obvious choice and that rosters are going to expand whether you have obvious choices or not, that the one obvious choice is likely to uh likely to get the call
1: yep i i think that that's certainly possible uh if they don't make a trade at the at the deadline it's certainly something that we could see and if any injuries uh happen in left field or at catcher um that needs some of these guys to go elsewhere um it could happen sooner than later so uh, certainly a really good asset to have there and i think we both agree that Really the only position player outside of a few of the relievers that we've mentioned um, that that has a shot at actually coming up and helping the club this year. Um, So Sam Travis is another guy that I wanted to mention real quick. uh, Out for the rest of the year with a torn ACL. If you haven't heard the news, uh, first base prospect up at uh, Pawtucket was playing pretty well this year. Uh, hitting the ball very well. So he won't be back in the mix until 2017. Uh, He is somebody that could have seen a cup of coffee uh, come uh, September. So that's a little bit tragic. Um, But I wanted to end on uh, this note, Brian. I've been talking to uh, a lot of people. I think it was the last three or so people that I've had on the podcast. Definitely been, uh, I think, uh, Matt Corey for sure. I can't remember if I asked Collins, but – considering how good the Red Sox have been so far and how many guys are just having awesome seasons. I wanted to get your take before we close out on who you think is the best player on the Red Sox right now.
0: I think there's only one answer for this. And I think it is Xander Bogarts.
1: All right. Welcome to the team. You, uh, you can take a seat right behind, uh, Ben, who's driving the bus and, uh, you know, you can sit next to me. So, um, we're enjoying that ride too. I think uh, Corey certainly has a strong argument with Betts right now, who had two home runs today, and uh, just, I mean, the the guy's on pace for over 30 home runs right now at this point, and the average is being a problem is certainly a thing of the past. I don't think we believed that that was going to be any real issue, but uh, Bogarts does everything right. I mean, this it's it's unbelievable how good he's been.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was on the bet side of the Mookie Xander debate early on, and I feel like the player, uh, the offensive player who's most likely to, uh, I mean, look, let's put it this way. If David Ortiz could do it through hitting alone, it would be him, because he's hitting better than anybody. So, so, it's, it's It's not for lack of options, but I do think Mookie can put up uh, the numbers across the board that could give Xander a run for his money. But right now, Xander is one of the best players in baseball, and I think that uh, there's no – nothing I've seen indicates that this is a fluke. This looks like who this guy is, and it is nasty.
1: Yep. So far, uh, Mookie has produced 1.8 war so far this season, and Xander has already made three war. Um, so that is a significant gap. Um, Xander has another hit today, uh, extending his hitting streak, I believe, now to 24 games. So quickly approaching the mark that uh, JBJ had set earlier in the season with 29. So, uh, and, and when you look at a guy who has a, a swing tailor built to go on long streaks like this. Uh, it is him because he can just spray it everywhere and do everything. So uh, glad to have you on team Xander uh, with that. Um, that's, that's going to be it for us today. I want to tell everybody out there uh, that you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, you can subscribe to us on Stitcher. You can also find us on blog talk radio and tune in, Um, I believe that all those things should have us on there. Um, And please feel free to rate and review us as well. We've gotten a few reviews so far on iTunes. So thank you for those. Uh, We really appreciate the feedback as well. And um, Brian, uh, one more time, where can they find you on Twitter?
0: Brian Joyner, B-R-Y-A-N-J-O-I-N-E-R.
1: All right. You'll find some moderately hot takes from Brian there. Uh, And you can find me on Twitter twitter at, at @devjake and um my takes are usually reheated so um there you have it um you can tune in to us next week we will be uh coming out on um tuesdays as usual uh next week just because of memorial day this one comes out a little bit late but until then uh for brian Joyner, this is jake deverell saying thanks for joining us and uh, we will see you next time